0: live from the sixth and peabody studio and across the outkick network this is outkick 360 with jonathan hutton chad withrow and paul kuharski
1: coming up in 20 minutes we will recap the ending of alabama and texas a&m from the the final play call and that series down at the goal line from nick saban's perspective uh, he'll explain what he was telling his defense to be on the lookout for, what they were expecting versus what they got from Jimbo Fisher and company. Tennessee wins the Vols, improve their record. They remain unbeaten. They'll now host Alabama this coming Saturday. And the Titans went on the road. They're always standing on the edge of a cliff, but they win again third in a row. They go into the bye week at 3-2 and two in sole possession of the AFC South because Jacksonville, yet again, we mentioned this yesterday, or last week. Favored against the Texans. And the last two times, they have lost to the Texans. And the Texans did it again. And now Jacksonville is regressing to the mean. Colts Trevor can't Lawrence beat the Jags. Looks more like Trevor Lawrence of last year.
0: Colts can't beat the Jags. Jags can't beat the Texans. Yeah. Colts can't beat the Titans. Weird, <laughs> weird uh, very weird division.
1: Um, it, it sets up for what's going to be an interesting run here because... The Colts now have Jacksonville next week. They, and then the Titans. And, and Davey Hudson mentioned this, give him full credit. He predicts that Jerome Boger will get that game. Um, and I don't disagree with him on that. And then right after that, they'll play the Titans. The Colts will. Then the Titans will play the Texans. And you'll start to sift through all this where... And I go back to Thursday night. Last, I said last week, Chad, that win... They had no business winning that game 12-9 against Denver. You know, that win felt like a loss, but that win counts as a win on the win-loss column now at 2-2-1. Two, two, and, and that game will keep them squarely in the mix. Imagine if they lost that game and what the AFC South standings would look like today compared to what they are, which is the Colts there, you've got the Jags 2-3, and three, and then Houston just picked up their first win of the season.
2: Well, it's a season saver. It felt like at the time, and it still feels like it today. And the Colts, for as bad as they've been, they're two and zero against the AFC West, which is crazy. That's another good point. I mean, they beat the Chiefs, and they won in Denver. If we would have said that before the season, we'd say that they might be undefeated. Oh, the media is correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Finally, the media just had it right all along. This Colts team is a Super Bowl contender, but instead, they've sucked. And they sucked last Thursday and they still won in Denver.
0: And you look at the Titans who've won three in a row. They're going on a bye. They come back. They play the Colts at home, who they've beaten and we don't think are very good. They go to the Texans, who they should beat. They're at the Chiefs on a Monday night. They probably get slammed there. Then they host the Broncos. They could win three out of those four. Sure. Then things get really tough. But they could be sitting, uh, you know, with uh, uh, six and three could
1: and, and still not be very good. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I-
0: and then I think things take a downturn. I mean, I, I, the pa- they're at the Packers. That's tough. They host the Bengals. I still think that's tough, uh, though. They're going to have revenge on their mind for that. Right. Then they're at the Eagles. Then they start against the Jaguars. Then they're at the Chargers uh, and they still have the Cowboys. Uh, they've got a lot of losable games coming up, but the next month, I think outside of the chiefs, they could be in pretty good shape.
1: How about the, uh, the NFC East, by the way, with the Giants, Cowboys, and now Eagles, they remain unbeaten. If you start to look to their schedule, they've got Dallas this coming week, and Prescott could play. Um,
0: Prescott's going to play and screw everything up for them. I really believe that. I could, think the Cowboys, I mean, the way they're playing right now, defensively and smart on offense, is a great formula for them. Dak comes in, and all of a sudden, they're looking for you know some high-flying offense, and I think we'll trouble, see. Paul, you know what you're discussing rising. right now?
2: A quarterback controversy.
0: Yeah. I, but you're I mean, saying putting not...
2: Dak Prescott back in would be worse for the Cowboys. That, by definition, is a quarterback controversy.
0: I, I'm, here's what I'm saying. You've got to put Dak back in, but you've got to play the same style of ball. Don't change back. You know what? To... I'll,
2: I'll say it. Don't
0: start Dak until Cooper Rush loses.
2: Why would you mess with this run right now? I well, wouldn't change or a thing. until
0: Dak's hand is, is excellent.
2: Again, I would not change a thing. Let this guy lose and then put Dak in.
1: They've been playing Watch, very good football. Watching the game though with the Cowboys and Rams, Defense they had did. a defensive touchdown. They blocked a punt, got a, a short field, run game was phenomenal. Defense is extraordinary. Cooper Rush attempted sixteen passes the entire day. We completed ten of those for a little over a hundred yards. Like it's a very like they play it safe with him and for good it's reason. It's working. Uh it's working, but it's not like Cooper Rush played like Bailey Zappi oh, no, yesterday. No. Um He's a minimalist. It, it, but it, it's it, working he struggled. He he there were a couple times in this game where uh he he was I, I thought, man, if they get Dak Prescott back and we get keep in mind, this was the highest scoring offense in the NFL last year. Dallas. That's crazy. With Dak Prescott, where could they end up? I'm not worried about like playing the same style. I'm thinking, where can they go if Dak is like last year's version of Dak Prescott? We're, you know, we're, I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I saw what he did in Week One against Tampa, but uh, you know, I've also seen some bad quarterback play throughout the league this year. Don't you have though,
0: I, a little bit of a feeling that it'll get messed up? What do you
2: mean, I,
1: his hand?
0: No, what they're doing will get messed up with the change.
1: They they're I mean they're they're incredible on defense. That's number one.
0: So that's not going away with the quarterback.
1: They're so. actually running the football well uh with Elliott and Pollard. Pollard had a fifty seven yard touchdown run in that game yesterday. Elliot seventy eight yards rushing, and then you had eighty six from Pollard. Um there's a physical tone to their front now. That is a bit different than what we saw on that Thursday night against Tampa. He can make and it harder for the they're defense. They're not turning though. the they're not turning the football off. That's over. where
0: it is. He can make it harder for the defense well, with an untimely. But with Dak Prescott, I bat. expect
1: him to throw more than sixteen passes in a game. Yeah. I don't yeah. expect them to, you know, to have to Look, limp around and play off of the run game instead of relying on your superstar quarterback to make a throw.
2: Bailey Zappi attempted twenty one passes, Cooper Rush attempted sixteen. That's just the formula for this Cowboys team. All I'm saying is I would not mess with that formula that has you on this win streak right now. Now, it's going to bite them, you would think. You can't just continue to not have a passing attack. and then. But when that happens, absolutely. Let's go to Dak Prescott, who does bring more to the offense. I Call me crazy. I'm just not someone, if I'm the head coach, that I'm not going to mess with a winning streak and success when you have a formula for success. And that formula with Cooper Rush is don't get us beat. Be efficient. We're not going to throw the ball that much. Get us into a good play. Run the football. Play great defense. Hey, after, and that's working for the Cowboys right now.
0: After this Eagles game, they've got the Lions at home and the Bears at home. I mean, those are two games. Yeah, and this they is, shouldn't be able to screw up any way, shape, or form. Then they go to the Packers.
1: There was a buzz last week that he could play this this past, past weekend. Me. Like, um, I, I think it's happening sooner rather than later. And Prescott's going to have to fall off a cliff for me to go to Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush is a good backup. But your your superstar caliber next level guy that's coming off a year where the offense was the number one scoring offense in the league is Dak Prescott. There's no no way that I can't add in some lighter fluid to their passing game.
0: I, I agree. I would go back to him. I just have a feeling something's going to go wrong when they do go
1: back. Well, I mean, if they don't protect him the way they didn't protect him in week one, then something will. I mean, he's, he was battered or knocked around in that game. And uh, I don't it, know how he grips the be, football after this. If they
2: come in and he's, he, he throws interceptions and yeah, he's holding the ball
1: and they, can't,
2: and they lose and they had a winning streak going, I'll second guess. I'll second guess why you did it then. I, I would let this guy play his way out of it because whatever they're doing right now is working. They're winning. And that's not me saying Cooper Rush is better than Dak Prescott. Don't mistake what I'm saying. He's not. Dak Prescott is the more talented quarterback, but they're winning with Cooper Rush. They've got a very specific formula for winning, but it's working.
1: Um, the Eagles, same thing. They led 14 nothing early yesterday against Arizona. The Cardinals had a great chance to go win this game, or at least tie it. So... They led uh, it was tied at seventeen with about nine minutes left in the game. The Eagles grind out a drive they go down and get a field goal twenty um, 2017 was the the final score. It was twenty to seventeen after this eight minute drive about a minute fifty left on the clock uh, they kick the field goal to go up by three and then Murray starts leading the drive back down in Arizona and he picks up the first down if he's a running back or a wide receiver. He does not pick up the first down because he's a quarterback giving himself up. And as he slides, his knee never touches. But as he slides, it's based on when you give yourself up, which was about a half yard early before the line to gain. And instead of first down, it's third and one. They go spike the football. So it's fourth and one when you stop the clock. And he did not pick up the first down based on where he started his slide. They attempt the field goal. They miss it. Philadelphia wins, they remain unbeaten. The Eagles didn't play a bad game. They, they gave up points early. They still have not scored in the first quarter, um, but they settled in. Offense came back to, to make some plays, and I thought Hertz was at his best on that final drive to go get a field goal.
0: Should Murray have known better?
1: Yeah, but I also think like I, we have the benefit of seeing that, that line on the field. You know, and so do the refs on the replay. Like, in in real time, I thought he got the first down. Um, But, yeah, I mean, situational awareness is something that's been a knock on him. So, yeah. I mean, you can be critical of that, knowing where to slide. But at the same time, it, it was, if he goes and gets crunched and, you know, crushed, and he's in concussion protocol, then we're ripping him for not sliding in that situation. I don't know. He... Uh, he's kind of in a lose-lose situation unless he just slides at the perfect time. He was very close to the line of gain. Yeah, but I, he, he did give himself up about a half yard before. They got the call right based on the rule. Kyler Murray's in a tough spot
2: in terms of perception because he does something like that and it's impossible not to immediately think. Now he, This is a guy who needed a clause to study yeah, and his awareness yeah. was lacking in this one moment. Uh, fair or not, that's what the Cardinals have allowed. When they did, that. I, I will always second guess Kyler Murray now, and I and know that I'm like that. I'm not alone. Unless, well, that, that has unless they're unless they're undefeated and he's great, uh, no, it's it does game awareness. But it's just it's awareness. one of those things that oh well, maybe this guy isn't the smartest football player. You just you're going to go back to that whether it's fair or not every time something like this happens. But that's the unfortunate part of that story was if they're not undefeated and he's not playing
1: great, there's going to be second guessing. Yeah, and they. You know, if it's a first down, he, I think the awareness comes from not knowing that he was short on the line to game. So he immediately gets the offense together, get a quick spike. And instead, it ends up being fourth and one. They have to attempt that long field goal ball game after the miss. And, and, and you got to be a yard
0: long and not a, yard, a half yard long, not a half yard short. you got to be yeah. a yard long in that situation to cover yourself.
1: Jalen Hurts continues to sound like a, a leader and an MVP-type guy post-game. He was asked about you know, the 5-0 start and blah, 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 and he immediately just stopped and just said, look, um, I, I don't want to hear about the record because I didn't want to hear about the record last year when we were 2-5. and five. You guys kept telling me what the record meant then. This record doesn't mean anything at the same point of the season for us in October. Stop talking about it. You know, then they're off to Dallas, back to Philly for a big game against Dallas. I, I just like the the tone and the direction that he's taking his offense. Um, yeah, he, we, we always talk about coaches sending sending the message. He's sending a message to that group, and he he is now um, scored the most rushing touchdowns by a quarterback in his first twenty five starts. Made that like official yesterday. Nineteen of those, he's had a rushing touchdown in nineteen of his twenty five starts. He passed Cam Newton. Yesterday. Impressive. An impressive start. Impressive that, guy. That team is really good. Oh, they're going to. So if they get really past good. Dallas, if they get past Dallas and that defense, I cannot wait to watch Micah Parsons against Hertz in this and how they address where he is um, this coming week. But here's their upcoming schedule. So if they survive the, the Cowboys, their stretch comes against bottom feeders. And I realized you cannot take for granted any of these teams based on how some of these games go. But they have the Steelers, Texans, Commanders, and Colts. All That takes them up to week 12. And they will play the Packers and then the Titans around that time frame of their schedule. So they, they have a chance to be unbeaten as we're starting to look ahead to the Thanksgiving schedule. That could be a real story. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, th-
2: that division to me is a real story right now. With the Cowboys yeah. on this run, with Cooper Rush, with the Giants... Yeah, shockingly, with one loss, the Eagles—it's the best division in football right now. From um, a record standpoint, they're better than everyone, despite the
1: Commanders. Chad, how good is Tennessee compared to Georgia in your mind? Because that's where we're going to get as we even e- depending on how the game goes against Alabama. We—if they beat Bama, then that—that's the game of the year. I'm not—I'm not even trying to look there yet. I'm looking ahead to even if Bama beats them. Where are they with Georgia? As you try to address where Georgia is, because I, you know, Stets, Stetson Bennett is—he's tailed off. His numbers are nowhere close to what they were through the first three weeks of the season. Um, they have question marks, right? They—they've had a get-right game, but they still have question marks. And I don't see—I I see a lot of solutions on Tennessee side of things. I see solutions for Georgia too. I just. I think I'm trying not to be blinded by where I thought Georgia was versus where they are, which is still really good, but not last year, right? And Tennessee is not last year, and they're above expectation of where we had them to begin the season. So I'm trying to balance those two.
2: Tennessee is a lot closer to Georgia than they were a year ago. Let's start there. I mean, I think offensively they're superior in their system in how they can score. Yeah. But here's the problem with – Tennessee versus Alabama, Tennessee versus Georgia right now. And I don't think they have this issue with anyone else that's on their schedule. From a talent perspective, Tennessee still has some very talented players at the top. And this was – they had this a year ago also. It was some spots. They lack the depth. They lack the – I view Tennessee going into a game against Alabama as here is everything that has to happen right, and here is everyone who has to play great in order for Tennessee to win the game. I'd say the same about Georgia. Georgia. When you're looking at it from Georgia or Bama's perspective, you're looking at it saying, here are all the different ways that we can win this game with certain things going wrong, but yet other things are very, very right because we have superior players. And Georgia and Alabama have superior players to Tennessee. And there's no quick fix for that. This is still not a deep team. It's a, no. bad, it's a bad secondary for Tennessee. They're getting the absolute most out of their defensive front, but I don't think that's going to last against Alabama and Georgia throughout an entire game. They're overachieving at a number of spots. I think their offense is absolutely not a fluke at all. It's just that good. They're number one in America in yards. They're number two in points. Yeah, neither is Hooker. But I look at these games, and I, if you, I was just going to do a side-by-side breakdown of here's how this team wins, here's how this team wins— uh, with Tennessee versus Alabama or Georgia, that list is going to be a lot longer than Georgia or Alabama's in terms of the only things they need to do to make sure they win.
1: Yeah, and they, they can – you're right. I mean, they, they can have four turnovers and two missed field goals and still win a game. Uh, Alabama made a season of that a year ago, and you know they've done it so far uh, yet again with, with A&M last, last weekend. So they, they're very – both teams that we're referring to here, very well coached, so are the Vols. Yes. And I think that that's where the intrigue comes for me this year is where does Hypel match up this year with what we've seen against the Saban and Smart coach teams? I don't
2: think Tennessee is going to be at a gross coaching disadvantage in any game against any coach in America. I feel confident saying that about Josh Heupel. I'm not giving them the advantage over Nick Saban or Kirby Smart, guys who've won national championships, yeah. but... I don't look at that game and think, oh boy,
1: Nick Saban is going to coach circles around Josh Heupel in this game. Coming up, we will uh, visit with Brooke Cromer from the Draft Network, uh, details on the firing of Matt Rule in Carolina. But first, when we return, Nick Saban walks through and talks through the ending of this past Saturday night's game against Texas A&M at Bryant-Denny Stadium. That's next on kick 360. Looking forward to visiting with Brooke Cromer momentarily. The Draft Network will get her take on Matt Rule fired in Carolina. And the culture behind the scenes there with some of the coaches wanting out. Uh, Chad, you heard this and brought it to our attention. Saban on his coach's show discussing the finish to Bama and A&M. So if anyone ever wanted to know how you can win seven national championships, it's (laughs) that
2: you get as good at talking about football as Nick Saban is at talking about football. Tennessee-Alabama is going to be the the biggest, most high-profile game of the upcoming weekend. Alabama-Texas A&M was one of the more high-profile games, maybe the highest-profile game from this past weekend. The game ended on one final play that Alabama defended very well, and Texas A&M did not complete a pass into the corner of the end zone. We're going to let you see this if you're watching, hear this if you're listening right now. This is Nick Saban. On his coach's show, going through the video of everything going through his defensive staff's mind as they prepare for this final play from Texas AM.
1: No surprise what the play of the game is, Coach, presented by CBS Bank. Well,
3: you know, they scored a touchdown earlier on the same formation, and we were actually trapping the flat and playing everybody inside out. So this number three receiver did that. All right, so, uh, and that's actually what we wanted to play if it was a two-point play, which this situation is the same as a two-point play. Except because they had done that, we wanted to change the leverage on everybody. So we're playing outside technique, outside technique. This guy's a rat, all right? Henry and two are reading the back. If the back goes out, two will cover them. If the back stays in, Henry will cover him and green dog him, and two will double number one, who's where they threw the ball. All right, and Therion's really pushing the guys outside, all right, which has helped squeeze them off because he knows he's getting help from 10 or 2. And then, you know, we're afraid of the quarterback, you know, possibly running the ball. All right, so we dab the front. All right, so we're going to take Will and take him off the edge. These guys are going to break the pocket, and 15's going to pop out and mirror the quarterback. So we're trying to cover all the bases, obviously, on this play, and you can see how it came out. You can see how he's playing outside technique on the guy, so when the guy worked back, he had a chance to make the play. You see how two uh, is doubling out to him. You see how Henry's green dog in the back because the back didn't fast release. If the back fast release, two's covering him. And everybody down here is playing outside technique with nine being the rat on this side to cut everybody on the inside route. So had pretty good coverage on the play, and player made a really good play.
1: There's Saban uh, detailing the play of the game through uh, Alabama Athletics crap. there on his coach's show.
3: Yeah, the, the part that he
0: doesn't go into there is what a crap call it was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> by well, I love how he's
2: like uh, goes into A-Nest. everything, and then at the end, without him saying it, he's thinking, but they didn't do any of these things. <laughs> so Henry, he's talking about Henry Toe Toe, Henry got to stay home right here, and the back just really doesn't release. So he gets to stay home, and then they go over here, and on's already an outside technique. Ball's thrown to the outside, so he makes a good Short play Short the him. end zone. Yeah,
1: that was not the best play call from Jimbo Fisher. Brooke Cromer joins us from the draft network. Brooke was in Tuscaloosa Saturday, I believe. Is that right, Brooke?
4: Yeah, y'all are crushing my heart. As you can see, I am an Aggie. Yeah. And that game hurt. And that hurts. That play, hurts
1: that play call. What what are they doing?
4: Look, I mean, I don't know if A-Chain was running the ball that well anyway. So it's like, do you want to put it in his hands? It's like, what do you do? We got a backup quarterback in. It's it was, it was destined to happen. We weren't going to win that game. I
1: Correct. mean, <laughs> oh, there was but, no way. Oh, but the the whole, minimum, the whole small field area. that you? It was it was awful. Do
2: you allow yourself, Brooke, at some point to think? Because I did on that final drive. I'm thinking, man, A and M just has Bama's number. They're going to do this it This is going to happen again because I'm watching Haynes King. The guy looks like uh, Daniel LaRusso at the end of Karate Kid, (laughs) limping around the field, and he's throwing these weird baseball-like tosses out to people. It's caught, and I'm thinking, they're going to pull this off again like they did with Zach Calzada a year ago. Did you allow your mind to go there at any point that it might actually happen?
4: I did. I was sitting in the A&M section, you know, the rah-rah around you. You're getting excited and There was a moment we thought it could happen. There was something deep down that we knew it probably wasn't going to. It's Alabama. It's Nick Saban. Uh, A couple times that I thought maybe the refs were getting a little extra money in their pocket when they were going over to the review booth. But, you know, just the name of the game when you're playing Alabama.
2: (laughs) So, Brooke, speaking of Nick Saban, uh, his NFL experiment was not great with the
0: Dolphins. Less than that.
2: And uh, you had a tweet (laughs) earlier today about Matt Rule's NFL experiment. Not going great. Some similarities, not as outwardly as as Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, but this seems to be kind of a recurring theme for successful college coaches taking the next step to the NFL. What what are you hearing on Matt Rule in Carolina?
4: I mean, the guy drew my final straw last year when he fired Joe Brady as, in my eyes, a scapegoat trying to save his job. Now we got him in Buffalo. I'm a Bills fan, so I can't complain one bit about it, but I did have a couple of friends, including Joe Brady, on the staff in um, Panthers last year. Um, none this season. So, not sure what's going on there this season, but I can't imagine it's that different. Just culture issues is what I heard. Um, horrendous. I mentioned multiple times, they couldn't see him winning any games with how terrible the work environment was, it just was a lack of responsibility, a lack of accountability. Um, One of my friends there had said that he never heard him once Matt rule, take responsibility saying, Hey, this game's on me. Like you see most good leaders and good head coaches do say, Hey, this game was on me. Bad play call, bad, whatever. No, he was spreading out the blame to other coaches, to other players, whoever it was just, not a bad, not a good culture. And as I'm sure you guys know in coaching, chemistry is everything. If you have good chemistry on a coaching staff, you're going to get through some really tough times together and you're probably going to be able to get to the playoffs, if not get to that championship game. And you see that time and time again. Most of the teams that do get there have great chemistry. All the coaches can trust each other. And once that starts losing, which it sounds like it was under Matt Rule there, that it's going downhill from there.
1: So Brookie's out after five games, and I'm, I'm sure David Tepper doesn't want to pay the buyout if he's going to win, uh, but fires him after five games, and he somehow brought him back for this year. He's got the money to pay the buyout if he wanted to. Why did he keep him? And did, it was the worst-kept secret that the hot seat was extremely hot for Rule anyway. Um, is it is it par for the course that you thought that, based on what you know and who the coaches you've talked to, that it could happen this soon?
4: I mean, this is early. This is early in the season. You'd think they would at least get him to like a third of the season, maybe halfway through the season. But I don't know. I mean, we've seen with this general manager, he likes to make decisions quick. And once he makes them, I think he's got his mindset. I don't think he can see past it. So I'm not that surprised. Um, I don't think anyone really wanted to be there. I know one of my friends was hoping that he could just go with Joe Brady. Like, hey, can <laughs> you just pay me and let me go? But, you know. You can't quit and then still get paid. So that's not happening. You're just gonna have to fire through some things. But yeah, I'm I'm honestly not that surprised. I kind of saw it coming last year. I thought it would happen in the offseason. It didn't. So kind of figured it was coming at some point during the season.
0: Defensive coordinator Phil Snow also out. What do you read into that? What was his relationship with with the head coach like? And what's the shift now um, with Wilkes up to the to the rest of the staff?
4: Yeah, Phil Snow, um, Ed Foley, both out with Matt Rule. They both came with him from Baylor, so it's not too surprising. They probably all, you know, work together. They're a team. A lot of coaches will bring, you know, their guys from past teams or who they like to work with, and they probably all have the same coaching mindset and the same uh, like way that they do things. So I'm not too surprised that they're all gone at the same time. But that's a lot of coaching positions to now have to. Phil when I mean they oh the coaches are already have so much on their plate to get through a week. So now these coaches are gonna have to take on all of the extra. Steve Wilkes, I mean, he's gonna be taking on so much. Al Holcomb's gonna be taking on the defensive coordinator position. I'm pretty sure is what I've seen today. So it's gonna be a lot for this this team to come together and win some football games. Um, but I think we're I think we're gonna struggle a little bit, but hopefully at least find some things that are working, that are clicking, so that next season or going into the offseason, if they do want to keep Steve Wilkes as their head coach, that he has something to play off of going into next season for success. Well,
1: Tepper did say today that they will give him uh, the first crack at earning the job. Uh, It's going to be difficult if they go through a fire sale here um, with DJ Moore on the trade block. Uh, There was a report out from the ABC affiliate in Buffalo with your bills that said that they called about McCaffrey. Um, yeah. I wonder how many vets are actually on the trade block for a Carolina team that is no doubt trying to get as many draft picks as possible if they're going to completely tear it down and rebuild.
4: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, if you lose him, like, how do you fill that role? And then, I mean, the quarterback position has already been so crazy. We just found out today that Mike or, or Baker Mayfield's going to be out a couple of weeks as well. So, they're going down quick if they lose DJ Moore as well. Who? What do we have left here? So it's gonna it's gonna be tough. I think that the Panthers are gonna have a lot to fight through, a lot of adversity coming up. But um, it's gonna be interesting to see if Christian McCaffrey actually comes to my bills.
2: As an A and fan, are you more or less concerned with Auburn if they hire Matt Rule as their next coach?
4: You know, Matt Rule is a good college coach. I mean, he showed that he could do it at Temple. He showed he could do it at Baylor. I mean, he could go and have success in college. College and NFL coaching are so different. You have a limited amount of hours with these players in college every single week because they have classes. They have everything else going on. You got to deal with recruiting. You got to deal with the boosters. It's a completely different game. The NFL is so much faster. Third downs, red zones, everything is just completely different. So, I mean, you could have complete success in college football and not have it in the NFL, as we saw, and he could go back to the college game and do really well. So, yeah, I'm a little concerned if he comes back to the SEC. That could be not so great for my Aggies.
1: Well, the, uh, Chad, the the idea, Matt is going to be able to name his price moving forward. It may not be his price, but his coaching staff's going to get paid one way or the other. Yeah, we brought
2: this up earlier, Brooke, uh, with the $42 million he's owed by the Panthers and it's going to be the offset salary that he makes as a college coach, let's say, he could theoretically take a job for $500,000 a year and then allocate a lot of money to his staff and have the Panthers pick up the rest of the money that he wants to make as a head coach and just build a dominant staff, the highest paid in college football. He could do that at Nebraska, Wisconsin, Auburn. You name one of these programs that's open – what do you think about the possibility of that happening? But what you're saying about Matt Rule from what you hear from coaches that work for him, he doesn't necessarily sound like the guy who's going to do that for his staff or am I wrong?
4: You know, I'm not really sure you might want to call him and have that conversation to just give him that idea in case he's not already thinking about it cuz that is a very great idea. But then what does yeah, what culture does he bring there and into that coaching staff and does he do that, allow that, but not a bad play that you can just keep taking from the Carolina Panthers. I mean, I'm sure he's not happy with them anyways. Sounded like they ended on good terms, but I'd still be taking that big old paycheck from them. And I mean, if you want to win a championship, you gotta do what you gotta do. I could see it happening.
1: Brooke Cromer has been our guest. The draft network is where you can find her work as well as on social media at Brooke Cromer. Brooke, thank you for the time this afternoon. Uh, Let's catch up soon. And, uh, Thanks for joining us on short notice with the news coming down about rule.
4: Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is such a ball. Thank you. All right.
1: There's uh, Brooke Cromer. Um, Speaking of the topic there, Paul, on uh, college coaches, NFL coaches, and the jump between the two, you have a stat?
0: Yeah, this is per The Athletic. Since 2010, there have been eight first-time NFL head coaches who were hired directly from the college ranks. Collective winning percentage, 430 at their initial stop. Four of the eight never reached the playoffs. Five were either fired or stepped down within their first three seasons. And that winning percentage is really anchored by Jim Harbaugh and Bill O'Brien. The list, Harbaugh, Shiano, Marone, Chip Kelly, Bill O'Brien, Cliff Kingsbury, Matt Rule, and Urban Meyer.
2: Pete Carroll having coached in the NFL before going to USC also hurts that, having had success. Yeah. at USC than going back cuz he's he's been successful. Um they, I'd also like to see the reverse stat because well Brooks right and we know this but it's just it's different games. Completely. Herm Edwards did not have success when he goes to college football. Yeah. Um you know there's plenty of examples of the reverse being true also. Guys in the NFL that go down to college and then suddenly they don't like the grind of dealing with boosters, dealing with recruiting, parents. Uh, yeah. Dealing with an NCAA rule book, all of a sudden, right. I'd
0: prefer the NFL less money for the NFL less work. I mean, I think the NFL offseason is uh, uh, seems glorious to me. There is a, an offseason.
1: Yeah, there's a. You I get, mean, it's a grind. The, the workload there's an
0: end. The workload to yeah. is totally different. You can play golf.
1: Uh, I, you can go see you.
0: your kids play ball. You can, but, I mean, spend in, time with in your the wife. Power
1: Five. Not all, but most Power Five jobs. Within four years, you're going to be paid to fail. Like, yeah, the the type of buyout money that Rule's getting is because Tepper was willing to give him a college head coaching contract, contract,
0: which caused a furor amongst his uh, fellow 31 30 owners,
1: not Green Bay. Was that the same year or a year before Gruden took the Vegas job? No, I think it was in Oakland. I think it was before. I mean, if you're
2: it's all about what you want because if you're okay with the workload. I mean, you are an emperor on a
1: college, yeah. a college program. Yeah.
2: Uh, you you get you're, all the say.
1: You're the GM. The you head are coach, the or... yes.
2: There's no. There's not a lot of checks and balances for top level jobs. You you dictate the direction of everything with your program from mm-hmm. uniforms to marketing to talent acquisition. To hire... I mean, everything is done by Too you. Too much. It's a powerful thing.
0: Too much.
2: It's a, it's a power thing for a lot of guys, though. There's a lot of... Po- I
0: mean, I, I, I'm like if you, you're Belichickian, I take, there's, two, there's a lot of power and plenty of time off.
2: Yes, but there's one Bill Belichick. Yeah. There's 60 of them in college football that have all that power and are making a, a ton of money. I, I'm like you. I would take the less money... For just football only.
0: But even if you're Dan Campbell right now, I mean, he's got a hell of a lot of power. He's got a city behind him, and and they're crappy. But he's selling hope. Those first couple of years, you get to sell hope, and you get to see your wife.
2: They have a GM, though, right? Yeah. He's not drafting players.
0: No, but that's a good thing, kind of. Again, it's about
2: about what you want. If it's the power, if it's all the power you seek, if it's emperor status you will take more money and a bigger workload and a lot more stress at times throughout the year to be a college coach. And if you want to be all about football and coaching football, the NFL is the way to go.
0: I I would side with
2: the NFL head coaching job as a much less stressful position. Because I'm not, you know why? I'm not having to look at my Insta DMs to see if the defensive back from Plano, Texas got back to me so I can respond to help in recruiting. At all times. it's Or or the defensive
1: back at Western Kentucky. Yes,
2: name the school they could be transferring from. (laughs) There's always something. There's – I mean, just think of a a big game weekend for a college coach. You are going from recruiting functions on Friday and Saturday morning to meeting with your team at the hotel to then going and meeting with recruits again in your office to then getting your team ready on the field, coaching – On national TV in front of all these people and all these fans, then you're going right into a dinner with recruits right after. You're not even decompressing. Win or lose, whatever happens. It's just, it's nonstop.
0: Too much.
1: Nonstop. Well, and then you're also, you know, but you have less of a workload, but not a high success rate of the guys that make that jump because you're not in full control of your personnel. Uh, You're not winning a one-on-one battle in a recruiting stop, right? Right. You're not jumping a flight where free agencies open every year and there is no salary cap, right? Yeah. That's why I think a lot of the guys come in and don't really have a way to get a spark going until the following offseason. And then by then, you're a third of the way into a prove-it contract. You're kind of screwed at that point especially if you've got to wait to draft a quarterback after you get there. If you've got to wait a year...
0: Sometimes that buys you time.
1: It can, but not it if... Depends on your owner. Yeah, and, and it depends on...
0: And what you inherit. I saw Mike Leach... It depends
1: on who's available, too. I mean, Mike Leach had a quote, quote... If you need a quarterback this year, you're screwed well, in the draft. Well, Mike, Mike,
0: unless your team's top three.
2: Mike Leach had a quote no, where he, he said, ten, let's last just last make year. it... He said, let's make it pro sports. He said, it's already pro sports in college. Let's draft the players. And let's have talent acquisition that way and see who does better. Now, yeah. that would benefit Mike Leach at Mississippi State.
0: How's the Because Supreme- how
2: many recruits are they going to win from Alabama?
0: How's the Supreme Court going to feel about that? Well. Or the federal again,
2: government? Again, if they're getting paid. The point is, you're drafting someone. It, it doesn't work because it's still supposed to be a college. I can't draft you and make you yeah. go to my college because you're a good football player. It's like a military draft at that point.
1: Tom Pellicero on the Panthers report uh, from Buffalo. It's an ABC affiliate in Buffalo saying that the, the Bills have contacted the Panthers about Christian McCaffrey. Um, Pellicero saying that the Panthers have not had trade talks about Christian McCaffrey with the Bills or any other team this season, per sources. And that he points out that Carolina's already paid most of all of his $8.6 million salary in a bonus. And so you've, you're not like trading salary, but well, you could trade picks. You know, he's also Pelissero is also not saying that uh, the Bills didn't call. Yes, they're just not trade talks. Like actually, they're not negotiating currently. Yeah, anyone could call. Not saying about the Bills are players. not. November first is the trade deadline. So yeah, the Titans should call the Bills about Stephon right. Diggs. <laughs> I'd like to see that report. Hey, they
2: called. They There's called. been no official trade talks yet, but we do have a report that they called. Pick up the phone and call.
1: Get ready for what's going to be a, a fun Monday night football game uh, between the Chiefs and the Raiders. We'll preview that, give you our picks, and look ahead to more news that will be coming down the pike over the next 24 hours or so for tomorrow's show. That's next on Kick 360. You ready? Showtime. Chiefs hosting the Raiders tonight on Monday Night Football. Outkick 360 rolls on. So, Troy Aikman threw for 165 touchdowns in his entire career. And Mahomes can tie him tonight with three touchdown passes for 165. And he will do that if he does it tonight. Uh, Aikman will be on the call. He will do it in 100 fewer games. And he has a chance to do it this evening. So, if you want to bet a a certain aspect of this, outkick.com slash bet. I would say that the stat itself kind of feeds in and leans into over under touchdown passes for Patrick Mahomes here. I would also say take the over seventy two and a half yards receiving for Travis Kelsey. He's had at least a hundred yards or more each of the last four times he's faced the Raiders.
0: I'll take a thirty point night from Kelsey. That's all I need.
1: That's what I hope. hope <laughs> <That's> a
0: <laughs> and a zero point night from Wallace.
2: <laughs> it's a great stat about the hundred yard
1: receiving games from Kelsey. Three of the last four. I said all four. Three so of the much, last four. So much so that I'm going to place that action right now. At DraftKings. 72 and a half. Again, you can go to outkick.com slash bet is where you can uh, get all of the action on Monday night. Um, hey, how about this stat from college football? Yes. This from our buddy Bruce Feldman at Fox Sports. Tennessee
2: ranks number one in the country in offense. In 2020, the year before Josh Heupel took over, the Vols ranked 102nd in offense just two years ago.
0: It's a small... Uh, it's a big
2: league. increase in a short amount of time. Very impressive. With not a ton of turnover Mm -mm. personnel-wise, you know, in that short amount of time. Guys that were the 102nd offense, now the first offense.
0: I like that he's a likable guy because you know how uh, easy it would be for me to try to punch holes in it. But he's a likable guy, and he's done great work.
1: It's hard to punch holes in anything, anything, even for a guy you don't like, with the results they're doing a year and a half in, especially when you've got Jimbo Fisher and Brian Kelly – having people make excuses for them. I've never heard Josh Heupel make one excuse No, on what he inherited. So
0: He's done terrific work, and uh, I would love to see it extend
1: it's, into Saturday. It is yeah. tough to – Oh, what a, what a ripple is, effect that could have. It is tough
2: to even state just the remarkable quick turnaround just based on what he inherited and where Tennessee was perception-wise. I mean, NCAA investigation, almost 40 guys leaving the program – it looked like a dumpster fire that he took over and they had a really good first year and they're having a terrific second season. It, it, it's been incredible to watch. I saw Pete Sampson, who covers Notre Dame also, uh, say that was the worst home loss in the history of Brian Kelly as a Division I coach on Saturday that at home for LSU against Tennessee, but he said, it's really hard to find Grand Valley State statistics but he was going through Grand Valley State records to see if he had a worse loss as a coach, even at a different level as a head coach.
0: big part of that makes me, you know, the style of play is obviously a big part of it. So if you're taking over a, a, a program with history, or any program, Power 5 program, makes me wonder, like, you know, should you just bring a new style of play, a different style of play? If, if you're a good enough coach that can do that, is that a path to, if you can get the kids to do it, is that a path to getting better well, Usually
2: faster? it's a path, path for failure because you're inheriting something that they do this one thing and they have the personnel fit for that, and now when I try to do something totally different, it's going to be even worse than what they were doing before. So it, it's a very unique set of circumstances at Tennessee. I'd certainly
0: look hey, at what they've done.
2: Speaking of not likable, Brian Kelly. Put him on the list of coaches who are not very likable when you see his sideline demeanor and uh, his postgame demeanor. Um, who I
1: like do you guys the fact have?
0: that he doesn't try to hide it. At least,
1: who do you guys have tonight?
0: Um, I, I think Kansas City. Will oh, hey, go!
1: You just you're saying a good thing. Josh Heupel's a nice guy because I could punch holes in this. But Brian Kelly, who is a, you know. <laughs> I like that he embraces it. At least he doesn't hide I'm it.
0: I'm saying he's not a phony about it.
1: <laughs> oh, oh. He's not a phony. He had a
0: fake Southern accent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> said, oh, I just feel like. Family. No,
0: that was phony. Uh, don't get me wrong. That was phony. But I think Brian Kelly being unlikable, he's not phony about it. He's just flat out unlikable. <laughs> just who just, just he is. I think Kansas City wins by 10 tonight.
1: I think my family is going to watch Kansas City win big tonight. I also like the over tonight because Kansas City's defense allows 24 on average to begin. I think it's going to be a fun game on Monday night. We'll recap it tomorrow. John McClain and much more on OutKick360. Don't block that box,
0: but please lock your locks.